Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sportstone Podcast. Liverpool, Manchester City at the Etihad. It was meant to be Liverpool 2.0's toughest test yet. It was certainly a tough test. I'm not sure if it was the toughest test yet in terms of the way Man City played. Um, but it was tough for Liverpool. They found it tough. The performance was quite disjointed. It was quite incoherent. It was nowhere near their best. Um, I think Klopp said it well. They had periods in which they played okay. And that's when they look the most threatening. So imagine what they could have done if they played well. Well, that's something we have to ponder. Um, we have to ponder the, the ceiling of this side. But um, on Saturday afternoon in, in the UK, Saturday night in Australia here, um, I think we got, got something closer to the floor. And it's still competing with Manchester City, which is positive signs. They still got a point, which is positive signs. And on they go. The first part I want to start off with, um, the first part of this episode is going to be pressing. It's going to be a lot about pressing because I think pressing and out of possession were the stories of this game, both from both sides. Manchester City um, making Liverpool's build-up incoherent and Liverpool sort of playing into what Manchester City wanted to do in, in build-up. So let's start off with Liverpool. I, I've read around Twitter articles few other podcasts and just all the analysis I've seen regarding this game so that Liverpool should have pressed in a 4-4-2 scheme rather than a 4-3-3 scheme and that was a mistake that Klopp made I think Klopp did press in a 4-4-2 scheme um I just think the scheme was a bit too sort of compact and at the start perhaps they dropped off a bit too much at the start um so let's lay out the groundwork for this scheme in my opinion, it was Salah and, and Nunez occupying the front line of the press, and their goal was to mark, obviously, the put pressure on the on the ball-sided centre-backs and the ball-playing defenders and shadow mark in behind them. Nunez had to shadow mark the, the half-spaces and the cent- central mids behind them, and Salah was more catered towards shadow marking the... Um, the, the, the fullback or the the winger, the winger position. Uh, Diego Jota was uh, out on the wing uh, on Carl Walker um, and Phil Foden. While they had the midfielder Sobersline, McAllister and Curtis Jones. Initially, it was Sobersline in the left centre mid and McAllister, the, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, initially it was Curtis Jones in the left interior, Sobersline in the right interior, and then McAllister in behind them in the single pivot. Um, their job, as it is in the Liverpool press, was the second zone to step up uh, and apply pressure, um, and then in behind them, just sort of drop into their drop into their zone um, out of possession. The issue that Liverpool had was that Bernardo Silva's role was not static. He was primarily playing the left half space, but that's a very vague term. That's why it's called a half space, because to an extent, it's a very intangible space. You have a winger who is quite close to the touchline, has the ability to cut in, has the ability to feed overlaps and underlaps, but you have a half space player. Like, what exactly is a half space? Obviously, there are analysts who um, talk football in, what, zone, zone 14, zone 13, etc. But at a half space on its own is a pretty, pretty intangible term. So Bernardo Silva was roaming around that left-hand side, and to an extent, some of his heat map was also seen on the right-hand side. The main issue being, his unpredictable movement was tough to deal with, to put any sort of shadow-marking pressure to sort of ensure that the ball doesn't get beyond the lines into Bernardo Silva was very difficult. Especially when him and Julian Alvarez came beyond the Liverpool's press. They were happy to come deeper and shorten the distances and make the Liverpool midfielders come even higher. And at that stage, if they come even higher, that's very risky because Man City can play right through them. 
and that was the crux of the issues. Um, it seemed that the players, the Liverpool players that is, they were caught in between shadowing to cut the space behind them or actually putting pressure and making playing out difficult. So what they were doing is that they were getting in the sight of the defenders and then they're like, let me shadow this space behind me. But what would happen, the lapse, that sort of lack of judgment or that, 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 that um, um, sort of hesitation just led Manchester City to play the ball through and who was really good at it? Rodri. Rodri was great at it. Bernardo Silva was great at it. Um, and in the end, the double-mindedness left the pressing zones quite flat and static. It just didn't feel like there was really a coherent swarming press that was working functionally together. It just made it, it just felt like it was easy for Manchester City to exploit the pr- pr- press through movement. Um, what are the examples of this movement? Um, Rodri dropping outside the box, um, outside the block, sorry, coming into an almost third centre back and build up. Akanji constantly moving within the pivot. He wasn't stuck in the pivot, he was constantly moving. Alvarez and Bernardo making runs within the half space, coming beyond the press, as I, as I, as I talked about. Um, so that was the issue. And then I think what Jurgen Klopp did is he sort of realised that mid game. Uh, mid mid first half even and I think towards the end of the first half I, th- I thought the press got a bit better probably last 10 to 15 minutes and it became a more of a 4-2-4 four, four. it was well yeah 4-2-4 four, four. Um, I'm really focusing on the, the 2 and the 4 the back line have usually a pretty pretty constant and consistent pressing role regardless of opposition Liverpool side step up uh, keep the high line um and sort of shadow and guard the spaces behind them and cover cover the spaces when they're caught out in, in transition um, or if it's a counter-pressing situation. But yeah, let's focus on the 2-4 the part of the 4-2-4, four, four. so the, the two midfielders and I guess the zone of 2 and the zone of 4 because it wasn't really midfielders and attackers. Um, okay, so let's focus on the zone of 4. The zone of 4 was essentially Chata, Nunez, um, Curtis Jones and... Uh, Sala with Sobosla and McAllister behind. Sobosla even quite high, interchangeable with Curtis Jones. I think at a stage, Klopp even made him take the higher pressing zone, dropped Curtis Jones a bit deeper because Jones was playing pretty frantically and was getting caught in the ball a lot and sort of was getting um, caught out of position a lot in, in, in the way he was pressing the tackles. He had, he had a pretty rushed game. What this did was because there was a more aggressive press, it, there was essentially an attempt to block the pass rather than an attempt to shadow the space and ensure the line isn't broken. There was an attempt to actually put pressure on the ball players and say that, no, you're not going to get past me because you don't have room to breathe here. You're suffocated by my pressing. There was actually a coherent press swarming on here and the presses, the pass was being blocked, essentially. That's what was going on with, with sort of Liverpool's press. Um, in the second half, what happened? I, I think the game state... Um, uh, I think the game state was sort of a bit, 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 bit more different. Um, Liverpool were trying to hurt Manchester City more on transition, and they were trying to get a bit more settled in their in their possession and their build up. Um, so the the pressing situation didn't come as often, but it, it, it was similar. It was a mix between a four two four and a four four two, and at times they were caught flat. At times it worked. It, it was never really consistent throughout the match, and that was probably the central issue of the match that it was never really consistent. Um, other than that, in the first half, lots of individual and sloppy errors. Um, Curtis Jones, I think, was a culprit of quite a few of them. Allison, obviously, had a pretty pretty shocking game. I think for Allison standards, um, 
even Jota lost the ball a few times. Um, Sabasa even lost the ball a few times. Uh, Trinidad Arnold lost the ball a few times. Um, actually, only once, I think. Um, but yeah, the main issue in attack was once again the composure and the and, and, and the final ball. As I talked about in my preview with Samuel, and if you haven't checked out that episode, I please recommend checking it out. And I would also sort of, as a precursor, like to... Um, Thank you guys for all the love and support that you guys showed in that episode. Um, it broke all viewing records that we have on this podcast. Um, it broke all the impression records I have on Twitter. It got, it got like 20, 20, 20k impressions, I believe it was, which is pretty high. Pretty pretty good numbers for me. Um, and I'm grateful for Sam's time as well. He brings a lot to the podcast. He's a, he's a great mind. And I think we, we, we laid the framework and we laid the contextual grounding for this game a lot. So to sort of... To get the best experience out of this podcast, perhaps it's best to listen to the sort of the pre-match podcast, um, where the last fifteen minutes we preview the Man City Liverpool game. The forty-five minutes preceding that is all talking about all the Liverpool sort of systematic issues and strengths, and sort of just contextualizing how they've evolved in the season, how they fared in the season. So I think it's a bit good bit of sort of homework to understand the performance that was today, because it all sort of builds up. Um, but yeah, what I discussed with Simon in that podcast is the transition was going to be key because the counter press was going to be key. The counter press worked a few times. The counter press worked a few times, and they were in transition a few times. Sometimes they're in transition because of the brilliance of, of Trent and Arnold, Dominic Subsly, um, even Joel Matter with his um, crushing runs. But yeah, it was the composure and the final ball, and it was muddled and sloppy decision making. What do you want to put that down to? Big game pressure, perhaps sort of a bit of hesitation in playing the way you want to play because of the opposition in front of you. Perhaps it could just be a lack of physical capability as a result of the 12:30 p.m. kickoff. Um, just after an international break, especially for the South American plays, perhaps we don't know, but it was sloppy. That's that's sort of the conclusion. Let's now focus on Manchester City's pressing scheme. Okay, so let's start from top, as in let's start from the the front front line or the front zone, however you want to call it. You have one of Erling Haaland or Alvarez putting pressure on the ball side, ball side, setting back. Usually Erling Haaland, and it can at times also be Bernardo when Haaland drops back. Alvarez, such Bernardo, such a lot. Rodri, some of them are stepping up to shadow mark the pivot, and and any dropping eights. So, um, so that would be Trent Alexander Arnold and Alexis McAllister, and at times Sobsley and Curtis Jones are dropped to sort of shorten the distances, help each help them out and build up. Um, They'd always be shadow marked by 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 someone, um, and it was usually Bernardo and Alvarez, and then Rodri would step up with the eight, um, while Foden and Jeremy Doku would shadow mark the wide spaces to cover the balls into Salah, Sabasai, because as we've talked about in this podcast a lot, the tactical fluidity of Sabasai is not just an interior; he can go all the way out wide, he can come all the way deeper. There is a, a layered role, um, and so. Jeremy Doku had to be quite quite aware of that, and Foden would be on Simicas and Jones because Jones plays a similar role uh, at times. And the main issue that Liverpool had in the first half was sort of it was mainly utilizing that two man pivot, um, mainly utilizing that two man pivot. And I also thought some of the composure of the centre backs. So let's talk about utilizing that two man pivot first. What I mean by that, so the two man pivot, which is the two sort of defensive midfielders are the two sixes in possession, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Alexis McAllister. Um, McAllister was okay. He, he would find 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 space, but Trent Alexander-Arnold was essentially constantly harassed by Bernardo Silva. And Trent is not the best player with back-to-goal. And that's what happens when you have a player so tight on you, which is why Klopp has sort of tried the different ideation and the different ideas with Trent dropping him outside the block, dropping him as a third centre back, dropping him sometimes up the flanks, like his traditional role. Um 
So initially when he was inverting just as a six, he had trouble and Liverpool's build up had trouble. I don't think that was the only reason the build up had trouble because other teams have tried sort of man marking Trent pretty heavily and he's they're still found a way. I think the other issue was how good Rodri is in tracking the deeper runs. But the main issue was I thought the composure of the of the centre backs. I thought the ball playing centre backs for Liverpool are usually much better. I thought Virgil Van Dijk had a pretty rushed game in possession sometimes. So, so many lobbed balls, so many um so many um sort of just quick quicker passes and just wasn't on. Even Simicas lacked a bit of confidence in attack sometimes. I thought defensively Simicas was pretty okay. But he lacked a bit of confidence in, in attack sometimes. Also um, in defence sometimes. Um and also Liverpool sometimes just resorted to playing over the press too much. The, they got too greedy with some of the, the long balls and some of the lobbed balls and some of the sort of lobbed through balls. Something came off and that's the magic of Trent Hazard the magic of Dominic Sobsly. Um But sometimes they just gave the ball away um, quite cheaply. In, in settled out of possession, Manchester City sort of just transitioned into a, a, a 4-4-2 because initially it's a 3-2-3-2-2-3. Or even a um, three two three two one three two one four you could even call it or a three two one two two it's pretty layered in possession but yeah it was a four four two and settled out of possession with Akanji sort of dropping into the back four um, first goal let's talk about the first goal of the match. Just a goal full of individual errors. Allison horrible distribution. Subas Lyon Trent caught flat-footed and basically just let Aka go through. Who plays a good ball into Haaland? You have to give credit there. He played a pretty good ball into Erling Haaland. Um, but the back line there is napping too. I feel like there was a bit too much space to sort of let Haaland run through. Well, Haaland is quick. He has bigger strides and he's clinical. That first touch was great. Um, if Nunez had that first touch, he probably scored double the goals he did. Um, but Haaland does have that first touch and the finish is great. So it's, it's lazy analysis to say Haaland really thrives because the system thrives, the player has to execute the basics and he does the basics so damn well just because of his preparation and just because of how good it is. Um, something interesting that I did note, um, so obviously a major storyline in this game was Jeremy Doku versus Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, so that, that, that battle was key and it was always going to be key. Um, I, I saw some pre-game previews or tactical previews, whatever, saying that Jack Relish would actually start over Jeremy Doku, I, I never thought that. I, I thought Doku at Trent was going to be an obvious ploy just because of the trade-off that it gives Liverpool tactically because it was Jurgen Klopp was never going to put Trent against Doku one-on-one. There was always going to be support from Subaslai. There was always going to be support from Mohamed Salah. There was always going to be support from Curtis Jones or McAllister. Whoever was around the area was always going to support him, even Matip stepping up because Trent is not a pristine one-on-one defender and to be honest, it's very hard to, for anyone to defend Jeremy Doku one-on-one. That's how quick he is. That's how nifty he is with the ball. That's how tricky he is with his footwork. But initially, for the first 30 or so minutes, Trent was running right. Um, even for most of the first half, Trent was doing pretty well. He'd got past him a few times, he'd done him a few times, but nothing really majorly incisive that really had like, oh, Trent, you've been ruined here. And oh, there's a clear goal coming here. So what Man City tried to do in the last 10 minutes, they increased the pace. They increased the pace of that, that sort of ball into Jeremy Doku. Two things, pretty simple, what increasing the pace does. Number one, harder for the defensive organisation to be compact and, and organized because the ball has been played faster so you have less time to react you have less time to adapt to the attacking situation the attacking play in front of you and the second thing is that there is actually momentum on the in the ball coming to Jeremy Doku and this is this is a bit more niche this is a bit more interesting 
I think people don't realise that the weight of pass is so important in professional football. If you're playing, I don't know, street football or, or under-15s football, the weight of pass might not make much of a difference. But professional football with one percenters make a difference. Preparation the day before makes a difference. The weight of pass in the match is 100% going to make a difference. It's a difference between having being able to stop and pass back or being able to sort of carry the momentum of the ball and keep running with pace. And when that pace and the ball came to Jeremy Doku, the momentum of the ball ensured he could just Put the ball in front of him and keep running with it. And that pace made it much more harder for Trent Alexander to adapt, but also for the defensive support to come around him because you have to understand that Liverpool's press has been broken and then the ball from Bernardo Silva, usually, or even Rodri sometimes, has been played into Jeremy Doku. So Salah and Salah is still tracking back. They're still coming into this sort of out-of-possession situation and that's why Doku got the ball so much and that's why Doku kept coming at Trent Alexander so much because... The out-of-possession structure for Liverpool wasn't really organised, but I, I also think that's unfair analysis to say Jurgen Klopp got the out-of-possession structure wrong. I think the press was wrong, and as a result, everything else was wrong. It was similar to Liverpool's issues last season, but just not as bad. So obviously the counter-argument to play devil's advocate is that maybe they should just always set up in a mid-block and just been transitional, relied on the counter-press um, and perfected the build-up to thrive in the game and that a high press wasn't actually needed. Sure. You could potentially do that, um, but it's it's about identity once again. It's about sort of a, I think a deeper concept um, rather than just evolution based on opposition. Anyways, that's fine. I want to talk about the Manchester City backline as well. It's not really a tactical factor or, or tactical analysis, but Manchester City's backline in terms of the one-on-one defending was superb. They would make tackles, blocks, and interceptions at timely junctures to ensure Lupus' transition and attack would fizz away. It was, it was, it was great from all of them. Ake, Diaz, um, even Akanji when he dropped back, Kawoka. Um, and I, I, I think similarly, just their technical and individual quality was another major reason that Liverpool were unable to stop Manchester City's build-up. Um, other than the pressing issues, it was just individual and technical quality of the likes of Edison, Bernardo Silva, Rodri. Edison was great at playing over the press. Rodri was great at playing the passes that would slice the press and go between the lines. Bernardo was doing everything, moving and providing himself as an option to break the press, turning and breaking Liverpool's structure. Oh my god, this turns for Bernardo Silva. Finding constant passes to Doku would keep coming on Trent, as we talked about. It was a re- repeatable and controlled from City, and that's a testament to the individual quality that when the tactical system is, is a bit flawed, and I don't think flawed is the right word because I don't think Guardiola has a flawed tactical system, but when I mean the, ta- the tactical cues aren't being executed, or um, there is a bit of tactical exploitation going on from the opposition the individual quality still carries them somewhere in the game and I think that's a good sort of transition into Bernardo Silva's performance and the analysis of the individual performances in the game so that's what this segment of the podcast will focus on the individual performances in the game and who best to start off with other than Bernardo Silva for me man of the match for me one of the best in the world and he was a major reason to Liverpool looking disjointed in multiple facets the press the out of possession, and even in possession slash build-up. As we talked about, his unpredictable movement in the press made it very difficult to shadow mark him and cover the lines, leading to the press constantly being broken. Similar to out of possession defending, because the person is constantly moving and he's in this sort of very vague area, this very vague roaming role, essentially. It's very hard to defend him in out of possession. In possession, as we talked about, and I want to expand on further, his role of shadow marking slash covering Trent Alessandro in the build-up. It essentially meant that for the the first half of the first half, or even the first 30 minutes of the first half, 
the inversion of Trenton was not proving effective and as a result we weren't seeing it much because he had sort of lost confidence in that build-up so he just stayed to his conventional um, up and down the flanks role um, and I think towards the end of the first half Klopp sort of shifted Trent outside that box or I guess to use the word of the episode the half space the right half space um Klopp described it pretty well he called it a hiding space and to sort of expand on what this means and why it's a hiding space because he's just outside the line of the block and the block being what that zone that Manchester City had to shadow mark the pivots he's just outside the site so he has a few more seconds before someone puts pressure on him either Jeremy Doku stepping up from his duties out wide to Salah Soboslai or Bernardo Silva stepping up and getting closer to Trent Alexander because he wasn't necessarily man marking him it was still a sort of a uh, I guess even a hybrid press because I I think there were aspects of man marking but it wasn't really a, a man-to-man system like uh, let's say Arsenal do it it wasn't that stringent of a hybrid press where Arsenal were clearly man-to-man before dropping into zone it was aspects of staying close to your man but staying sort of primarily within a zone um, so yeah, putting him in this hide- hiding space, putting him a bit wider and outside the block, essentially just gave him a bit more time, and he ensured that he could receive the ball with his body facing Liverpool's sort of attacking half. And what does that do? It gives him more passing vision. This is an idea we once again discussed in, in, in previous podcasts, so if you're a bit, 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 bit confused, um, perhaps go review the previous episodes. But the trade-off for this was a disjointed build-up, because now you don't have that second person in that sort of you don't have that two-man pivot, and Trent's pass is a bit more sort of complex to make. Um, so yeah, it was a bit more of a disjointed um, build-up. I, I thought The Athletic had a very good article on this, so perhaps go check that out. I can't unfortunately remember um, who wrote it. Uh, Mark Stats, who does a brilliant job on Twitter, um, created a simplified diagram which summed up Bernardo's impact in the game. 58 out of 69 passes completed, heat maps scattered from his own box all the way to Liverpool's box and even drifting into the right-hand side. He was everywhere, he was doing everything, and he was the main reason for me that Liverpool were disjointed in multiple facets of the game. We've talked about Bernardo, so it's fitting to talk about Trent. Because personally, I thought Trent as an arm played very well in terms of executing his tactical role. Obviously, there's always going to be that stigma, there's always going to be that outroar, out there's always going to be that discussion regarding Trent Alexander defensively, and especially in this game, in one-on-one duels. He's not the greatest in one-on-one defending, he's never been the greatest. Against Jeremy Doku, he was bound to require extra support. But that was a tactical trade-off that was always going to be necessary. I, I think that was always going to be the ploy from Liverpool. In fact, it was... Even last year, um, Jeremy Doku wasn't even there, and Harvey Elliott would play pr- a pretty deep out of the possession role against Manchester City. It's something the club does, um, and he would have trans on his on in a, in a in a radical hypothetical state within the back four at all times and never attacked, he would probably still struggle against Jeremy Doku because Doku's elite attacker. He's very hard to defend and Trent Alexander isn't that isn't the his best skill set in terms of his defending. Um he's an elite level defender, however what he is he is an elite profile that will impact the game from that position that he plays, which is the right-back position. In the end, against Doku, he won possession, I think, seven times. He's close to double figures, if, if I can't, if I've mistaken the, the exact number. Um, he went through Doku um, a, a few times, and obviously Doku got him a few times as well. Doku did get him a few times, and Trent was still quite lazy for the goal. Um, but that's a trade-off, I think. And offensively, Let's talk about Trent's sort of offensive game, his attacking game. In challenging circumstances, I thought he showed splendid versatility. In the first half, 
as we discussed earlier, he was constantly tracked by Bernardo and that inversion wasn't working. Then he reverted back to his traditional moving up and down the flanks, the right back row, that sort of traditional Klopp right back row where he went up and down the flanks to look to put in the crosses. Um, before sort of in the end of the first half or the second half, essentially Klopp put him in that half space between inverting and going up the flank, positioning out, outside the box to be in this hiding space um, where he can access the vision that he requires. He was so good at... Um, Playing over the press, I thought Trent, he had made such great um, incisive passes. There was a ball to Jota, but Jota just couldn't bring it down. There were lob balls to Salah, which put him one-on-one. I thought Ake did pretty well there. Um, obviously, playing over the press to Nunez, um, to even get the ball up to Simicast at times. He had great first touches, I thought, um, and he just moved the ball well. And obviously, the brilliant goal, the the, the moment, the Trent has an Arnold moment, and... Yeah, you can analyze football as much as you want tactically, but those are the moments that make you fall in love with that sport. Just an individual standing up and just putting his authority in the game. I want to tell me that got a little bit of the point because there was really no tactical indicator to say that they were going to get a point other than perhaps some of the transitional moments or perhaps some of the ball carrying when Ryan Gravenberch came on, um, which is another performance I want to talk about in terms of substitutions. I think Gravenberch played very well. He put a positive impact in the game. He brought a bit more sort of control and dynamism to the game because Curtis Jones was doing this sort of the same stuff looking for these incisive passes looking to sort of be the man and build up but he just was playing impatiently and he was playing very sloppily so it was just costing Liverpool Graham Bush brought a bit more control he made the simple passes even Endo came on and made some of the simple passes but what was best for Graham Bush was his ball carrying ability he was able to sort of break that Manchester City pressing structure and he was able to help Liverpool and build up by just getting the ball and driving driving at them, which made Manchester City sort of adapt in a different way. They got something fresh coming at him. I thought Harvey Elliott struggled to impact the game a bit. Even Luis Diaz, um, I thought he was okay at times, but no real, really flair in that performance that we typically see from from Luis Diaz. And I, I think that's probably the best way to sum up the, this analysis as well. There was no real flair in the Liverpool performance. There were a few promising moments. A few bleak moments. It was never really disastrous, and uh, maybe some of the the Allison errors. It was never really, really, really good. Good. It was okay at times. It was bad at times. Individual brilliance got the job done. There's some positives to take away, but there's definitely some work to be done. It shows that the, the Liverpool two point is still a long way away from a, a ceiling, and Klopp said that they're still relatively new. And I think he even knows that some of the profiles aren't right in there, and some of the sort of. Um, systemic functions operations aren't, aren't exactly working and he's a genius who who work his way out um but yeah that was my take on the game it was a fascinating game for me honest. I, I enjoyed with that watch a lot i, I even rewatched it i enjoyed the rewatch quite a bit as well um fascinating game even just as a fan from a fan point of view he was sort of on the edge um it was great great to watch and um if you did enjoy this podcast please drop a follow the the number of follows has also increased a lot since the last few episodes that's great um share the podcast around um the goal is to give you those week by week loop breakdowns even game by game if some of you when the europe league starts heating up um and um leave a five-star review leave some feedback um you can email me get in contact with me my, my, my socials are there get in contact with me if you did enjoy come back again next week for another loop breakdown thank you